Heavenly Father, we as your children gather tonight and we have come to celebrate the most amazing fact of history, that your son came to this earth, deity wrapped in humanity, to die for our sins, to bring us back to you. Help us, Lord, to celebrate with all of our hearts tonight in the spirit in which this season deserves, and especially what you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. We all grew up hearing the story about Santa Claus delivering those gifts every Christmas Eve. In fact, that's what we made it all about, those gifts. Which ones would we get? Uh, it must have been a scientist that gave me this. Santa has 31 hours of Christmas to work with, thanks to the different time zones and the rotation of the Earth, assuming he travels east to west, which seems logical. This works out to 822.6 visits per second. So for each household with good children, Santa has one one-thousandth of a second to park, hop out of the sleigh, jump down the chimney, fill the stocking, distribute the remaining presents under the tree, eat whatever snacks have been left, get back up the chimney, get back into the sleigh, and move to the next house. We're talking about a total trip of 75.5 million miles, not counting stops. That means that Santa's sleigh is moving at 650 miles per second, or 3,000 times the speed of sound. Now, a conventional reindeer can uh, run at tops 25 to 30 miles an hour. The payload of the sleigh adds another interesting element. Assuming each child gets nothing more than a medium-sized Lego set, two pounds, yeah, right, the sleigh is now carrying 321,300 tons, not counting Santa who is invariably described as overweight. On land, conventional reindeer can pull no more than 300 pounds, even granting that flying reindeer could pull 10 times that normal amount. We can't do the job with eight or nine reindeer. We need 214,200 reindeer. Now this increases the payload It says, this increased the, the payload, not counting the weight of the sleigh, to 353,430 tons. 353,000 tons traveling at 650 miles per second creates enormous air resistance. This will heat the reindeer up in the same fashion as spacecraft re-entering the Earth's atmosphere. The lead pair will absorb 14.3 quintillion joules of energy per second each. In short, they will burst into flames almost instantaneously, <laughs> exposing the reindeer behind them and creating a deafening sonic boom in their wake. The entire reindeer team will be vaporized within 4.26 thousandths of a second. Santa, meanwhile, will be subject to centrifugal forces of 17,500 times greater than gravity. 
a 250-pound Santa would be pinned to the back of the sleigh by a 4,315,015-pound force. In conclusion, if Santa ever did deliver presents on Christmas Eve, he's now dead. All the adults clap. All the children are traumatized. Sorry about that. Here's something else that was sent to me. According to the Alaska De Department of Fish and Game, while both male and female reindeers grow antlers in the summer each year, male reindeers drop their antlers at the beginning of winter, usually late November or mid-December. Female reindeers retain their antlers until after they have given birth in the spring. Therefore, according to every historical rendition depicting Santa's reindeer, every single one of them, from Rudolph to Blitzen, had to be a female. We should have known. Only women, while pregnant, would be able to drag a fat man in a red velvet suit all around the world in one night and not get lost. <laughs> Merry Christmas. I had to throw that in. <laughs> you know, it is all about gifts. That's what it has become. But we know that's not what it's all about. We know it's about the gift. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God's nature is that of a giving God. I love how Paul just bursts out into spontaneous praise when he writes his letters. Like in 2 Corinthians 9, speaking of Jesus, he says, Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. And that's what I want to talk to you about in the next few minutes. God's gift. In Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 1 and part of chapter 2, is this paragraph about the gift. Matthew renders it. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. And he did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah, 
In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he gathered all of the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler, and he will shepherd my people Israel. Now, in what I just read to you, four descriptions of this gift that God gave us, Jesus, is given. Four names. Christ, Jesus, Emmanuel, King. All of those describe the gift. The first one is Christ. By the way, that's not his last name. I've, I've heard people take the Lord's name in vain and they'll say, Jesus H. Christ, as if Christ was the name of the family living in Nazareth somewhere. When in reality, the term Christ is a title, not a name. It's a designation. In fact, it's a Messianic or Hebrew designation. Christ is from the word Christos. That's the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Mashiach. And the Hebrews would know him as Yeshua Ha-Mashiach, Jesus the Messiah. The Greek rendition is, he's the Christ, he's the anointed one, the deliverer, the superhero, you might say. The one who would ultimately deliver that land and that people from bondage and raise them up eschatologically and eternally. That was their hope. Now, most of you knew that Christ means anointed one. What you may not know is the origin of the term, the root means to rub or to smear. And it comes from a ritual, an inauguration ritual, by Israel's prophets, priests, and kings when they would uh, pour olive oil down the head and neck and garment of those men, smearing it on them, designating them as someone special. And so this is God's designated one, his deliverer. The Jews had long awaited a Messiah. They had prayed for that. One of their daily prayers is this, I believe in the coming of Messiah, and even though he tarries, yet I will wait for him every coming day. That hope is expressed by Peter. When at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus said, Peter, who do you say that I am? And he said, you are the Christos. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. A part of this longing for Messiah was brought upon Israel because of the oppression of so many nations in their history. And even at this time, the Roman nation occupied that territory. They cried out for a deliverer, a Messiah, superhero. There's an interesting prediction in the Bible, the first book of the Bible, Genesis 49. The rabbis looked very carefully at it ever since it was given. In that chapter of that book is this prediction. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, 
nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. It's very intriguing. And this is how the rabbis would render it. The scepter, that is the, the icon of tribal authority, including the right to impose the law of Moses, will not depart from the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom, later on it became, until Shiloh, the term means, the one to whom it belongs, a title of Messiah, until he comes. Well, there was a problem. In the first quarter of the first century, Rome came in and occupied Judea and took away their right to impose capital punishment according to the Mosaic Law. When that happened, the Talmud records that the Sanhedrin, the Jewish bigwigs, had a parade around Jerusalem. And they put sackcloth and ashes on their heads and they cried out, The scepter has departed from Judah, but Messiah has not come. They were bewailing the thought that God has abandoned them. Little did they know, while they were having their little parade in sackcloth and ashes, just five miles away in Bethlehem, a little baby was being born. Shiloh had come. Messiah. There is a second title in our text. It's the name we all know. It's the name Jesus. That's the name he went by. It's sort of interesting that the angel gave the name to Joseph and to Mary. You will call his name Jesus. I'll tell you, if you're a parent, that helps. Because every parent I know buys the book, A Thousand and One Names for Your Baby. And it takes months to decide. In fact, we didn't decide until after Nathan was born. And my wife turned to me and she said, what are you going to call him? And I said, Nathan. I had it all picked out. I was ready for the moment. You will call his name Jesus. What's in a name? That's what Juliet asked Romeo in Shakespeare's famous play. What's in a name? Well, actually, a lot is in a name. A name can make a difference. One psychologist studying the names of 15,000 juvenile delinquents discovered that those with odd or embarrassing names were in trouble four times as much as others. Keep that in mind, parents. Of course, this may account for me over the years, being so strange. Skip, you know, is a weird name. Some people even go to court to change their names. Celebrities do this a lot. And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes I'm not sure. Uh, Cornelius Crane Chase changed his name to Chevy Chase. Frances Gum changed her name to Judy Garland. That was a good move. Karen Johnson renamed herself Whoopi Goldberg. And Thomas Mapother IV made a good choice of giving himself the name Tom Cruise. Then there's Arnold Jerry Dorsey, who renamed himself Engelbert Humperdinck. <laughs> That's an improvement. You went to court for that? Now, Jesus was a common name. In fact, I would say there were probably lots of boys in Nazareth on the same street, perhaps, as Jesus, named Jesus. It was common. Joshua. A very common name, which is great, isn't it? It makes him more approachable. It sort of focuses in on his humanity. 
He had a name like everybody else, but his name meant so much more. When applied to his life, it described what he came to do. For the name Jesus, that's the English term, Yeshua, the Hebrew term, Yehoshua, the expanded term, means Yahweh, God, is salvation. My God is salvation. That was his mission. He was ready to save. Experts will tell us that names that parents pick for their children tells you more about the parents, actually, than the child. In fact, it usually uh, reflects the goals, the aspirations, the values that parents pick for their kids. And some parents will pick clever names, you know, that uh, are like um, a play on words, and they think it's going to help when, in fact, it probably adds to the delinquency of their children, as in the first statistic. For instance, and these are real, by the way, Mr. and Mrs. Turner named their firstborn daughter Paige Turner. Mr. Peace decided to name his son Warren. Warren Peace, like the book, War and Peace. Uh, the Cases uh, called their son Justin Case. And uh, the Bacons picked Chris, uh, middle initial B, Crispy Bacon. And the Pools, this is true, by the way, that's what makes it so weird. They called their son, the Pools, Gene Pool. But Jesus came as a savior. Jesus will be his name because that will describe his mission. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. We are celebrating Jesus and his mission. Why do we celebrate Christmas? Well, it's not just so that merchants can have more people come into their stores if they paint a manger scene out front on the glass. Christmas wasn't put in our culture so we can have a few extra days off of school or work each year. Jesus didn't come so that he would give a, an example of a good person on how to live a wholesome life. No, no. He will save his people from their sins. Did you hear that? Not from their insecurities, not from their broken inner child, not from their karma, but from their sins. The world needs a savior because this is a world packed full of sinners who need help. And that's his mission. The third is the term Emmanuel. That was a name on the lips of the prophet Isaiah 600 years before Jesus was ever born. The term Emmanuel means, as we just read, God is with us. Insight into this gift. This is God with us. This is incarnate deity. This is God wrapped in a skin of humanity. Well, that was Isaiah chapter 7, but listen to Isaiah chapter 9, just a couple chapters later than the one quoted by Matthew. Unto us a child is born, he says. Unto us a son is given, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, the term Emmanuel is a term, once again, a title, once again, not a name, because 
You never hear Jesus being called, Hey, Emmanuel, you. It was always Jesus, Lord or Master. So this is a, a description title of who he would be. He would be God incognito. God in human flesh. Leaving the glories of heaven and coming to this earth. God with us. The ultimate cross-cultural experience. What could be more different from heaven than earth besides hell? A cross-cultural experience. God wrapped in skin in a cave, in a barn, where feeding animals were around him. I found a story I wanted to relate to you this Christmas Eve that sort of pairs it down just a bit because we hear that every year. But let's put it on a more familiar human level. There was once in the Middle East, in Persia, a famous ruler named Shah Abbas. And uh, he had a penchant for hating palace life and he would wear common clothes, not these, uh, more common clothes than these, and walk in among the people incognito, in disguise. And he'd strike up conversations and he'd ask people, what do you think of the king? Do you like him? He wanted to know what people thought about him. Well, the story is, is that he put on peasant's robes and he went to the lowest position in the palace one day, that of the keeper of the furnace, the one who gave heat to the palace. He struck up a friendship with them. They shared meals together, usually simple bread and water. And the friendship grew deeper over time. They began to love each other on these frequent visits of the Shah. One day, the Shah revealed who he was, and he told this slave working in the furnace room that he would promise him anything he wanted. And the guy just sat there and looked at him, and the Shah said, Don't you understand, friend? I can give you anything. I can make you rich. I can give you a city. I can make you a ruler. Here was the reply of the slave, Yes, my lord, I do understand. But what is this that you have done to leave your glorious surroundings and to sit with me in this dark place, to partake of my coarse fare, to care whether my heart is glad or sorry? Even you can give nothing more precious than that. On others you may bestow riches, but to me you have given yourself. I only ask that you never withdraw this gift of your friendship. In a comparative sense, that's what it means to have God with us. Jesus was God spelling himself out in a language we can understand. God with us. The fourth description of this gift is that he would be the king. That's found in the second chapter. I know you're not reading along. I'm just telling you where it's at. In Matthew chapter 2, these magi, these eastern rulers come. And they ask a question. We're looking for the king, they asked. Where is he born? The king of the Jews? And so that was their designation of this baby. He's the king. And even the Jewish rulers knew that he would be royalty because they quoted Isaiah, excuse me, they quoted Micah chapter 5. And they said, Unto you is born in the city of Bethlehem a ruler who will shepherd my people. That's nothing new. The Jews anticipated this. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 9, what I just read, here's the rest of it. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forth, even forever. Jesus is a king. 
And you know what? He hasn't reigned yet, but he's coming to reign. You may hear what I just said and say, no, wait a minute. Jesus once said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. That's right. It wasn't then. He didn't come then to be a ruler or a sovereign. He came to be a servant and a savior. But he's coming again. And I can't wait. When he can say to all the kings, all the prime ministers, all the governments, move over, boys. Let me show you how it's done. And there will be no Democrat, no Republican, no Libertarian, just Christ running everything. That's the king and the kingdom that we have to look forward to. So that's God's gift to the world. A savior to deliver us from the bondage of sin. God wrapped in humanity. Just a little baby. But on those shoulders would one day rest the governments, the responsibility of all the world. However, a gift is not much good unless you open it. Here, I have a gift for you. Great, drop it. See you later. What if you never opened it? It really wouldn't be yours then until you received the gift. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. But not everyone here, I believe, even tonight, has opened that gift or received it. So this is what I'm asking you to do this Christmas Eve. Consider the gift God has given. As Christ, let Him be your long-awaited hero, your knight in shining armor. As Jesus... Allow Him to save you from your sins. You say, well, I really don't have many sins. Ask your wife or your husband or your children or anybody who knows you at all. Then, as Emmanuel, let Him be with you. Let Him be present in absolutely every situation you will encounter. Christmas may be a hard time. For some of you, it's a painful time because of losses you've had in the past. Let him be Emmanuel, God with you. And then as king, let him rule over you. You know what that means? That means you obey him. That means he calls the shots, he gives the orders, and he is truly your Lord, your king. He reigns over you. I love Christmas, and I love the fact that so many come to church on Christmas that it's a Wednesday night and the church is packed twice and the first service was even fuller than this. We had to turn people away. The hub was even overflowing. Standing room only. And I'm thrilled that people come to church, but I want you to come to Christ. I'm glad that you've come to church. We welcome you here. You can come anytime. But in coming to church, come all the way to Christ. Every year we read the Christmas story and someone just read out of the Gospel of Luke just moments ago the familiar story of the shepherds keeping watch over their flocks at night and the angel coming and the proclamation. There's a Jewish legend that some of those shepherds were gathering together 40 years later talking over the event. And one of the shepherds who was there that night was talking about how incredible it was, the sound, the sights, the angels, the shaking of the ground. And that shepherd's grandson was there, and he said, Granddaddy, Granddaddy, was what the angel said really true? And the guy didn't answer the question. He just kept going about the angels and the night and how cool it was. And he even heard about a resurrection later on, several years later, from this Jesus. 
Granddaddy, interrupted the grandson. Is what the angel said really true? Embarrassed, the shepherd hung his head and he said, I don't really know. I never went to see. He was one who stayed back. Oh, he heard what the others heard. They went to see. And they told, but this one said, I don't know. I didn't go see. That reminds me of a lot of people, even at Christmas time, like the shepherd. They've heard all about God, all about Jesus, all about Christmas, every year, sing the songs, and even look at changed lives and relatives and friends around them, but they don't go see themselves if it's really true. Well, I don't know about this Christianity stuff. Really? Well, how do you know if you haven't come to Christ? Why don't you try them? Why don't you step out in faith and grab a hold of this Savior who will be God with us? You can approach Him anytime and He will save you from your sins. Come and see. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it's quiet. In a few hours, it's going to be really noisy. A lot of celebration. It would be easy for that noise and thrill and celebration of opening gifts to eclipse what has happened and what we've heard here this night in the silence. For so many people, Christmas is like having a birthday party and not inviting the one whose birthday it is. And we want it different. It's our prayer that those who have come with relatives visiting from out of town, out of curiosity, or just to sing happy songs because of a very difficult time in their life, they're here, they're, they've gathered. We're so glad. Now we pray that they would come and see. Come to Christ. Open the gift. the one that keeps on giving every day of our earthly lives and far into eternity. As we're praying right now, and this service is almost completed, we're praying. It's still silent. It's still that silent night. In the silence of your own heart, in the quietness of this moment, I'm going to ask you who have come to give your heart to Christ. You may be good, wonderful, happy people. Responsible leaders in our community even, perhaps. Loved by so many people, known by so many people. But deep in your heart, there's an emptiness. You've come to church, you've come to morality, but you haven't come to the Savior, Jesus Christ. And God is calling you to do that tonight. Now. The Bible uses that term an awful lot. Now is the time. If you're willing to trust Christ as your Savior, to receive God's gift of salvation, and to give God the only gift He wants this year, and that's you, I want you to raise your hand up. Raise it up right now in the air so I can see it as we're praying, and I'll acknowledge you.